Thank you for downloading the Wings Museum podcast. Today we're at the museum for one of our fantastic Merlin engine run events. And the day has given us the opportunity to speak with Adrian Harrison about the 253 Squadron Kenley Living History Group and Aaron Simmons about maintaining our Merlin engine in a fully running condition. First though, we talked to Alex Collinson of Bentley Priory Museum's Memoirs of the Blitz Oral History Project. I started by asking him what stage Memoirs of the Blitz was at. It's a new project that we've started working on. Right now we're collecting those stories and this week we were doing that. So we've had two workshops so far and in total now I've got around about 17 people I've spoke to. I think one of the interesting things for me at the moment is that um, obviously you know all these people sort of over the age of uh, 85 to have actually remembered and experienced it. But um, at the time, they were children. Yeah. So um, what, what that's done for me, you know, thinking about curating an exhibition is think about how I can portray this and communicate that with an audience. And I think it'll have a really unique perspective on the Blitz. And if we target it at this kind of child-like feeling, um, you know, because obviously it wasn't, all bad you know yes okay there's bombings every night but you know these children were still living their lives and what I found out talking to these people you know they've all said they didn't really have fear as children and you know it at times it was almost like a big adventure you know they were reading comic books and then seeing these battles happening in the sky and fire and you know so obviously as a child that's quite interesting I, I guess you know but then equally if you're involved in it then I suppose that's the part where it becomes reality and your life changes so you know I guess that kind of reflects life in many ways. <laughs> So presumably now these stories are going to help the, the children that visit Bentley Priory Museum now appreciate the things that perhaps their grandparents, great-grandparents presumably, went through and brings it a bit more to life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, that's so true. And I think, you know, obviously they're going to be able to relate to it in some aspect. And, you know, it's not just children. I think anyone that's coming can relate back to their childhoods. And to be fair, presumably anyone who's been born since the war... Yeah will be half hearing these stories, will half have an idea about it, and perhaps has been also affected by the people who did live through that in some way. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, obviously, I've had children of the parents that have been coming for the interviews, and, you know, they, they've been telling me stuff, and they, you know, they've had stories passed down, and I've had people send me written uh, accounts that their, you know, family have left behind. So, yeah, I think, you know, at a certain level, everyone has this kind of knowledge of the Blitz, and that, you know, they have got those stories. So I think it's really nice, and I hope that in a way we can make it so, even though... Some of that might not be historically accurate because, as you know, when things are passed down, it, they, you know, kind of get a bit exaggerated. You know, it'd be really nice if even the children of the children can contribute to the exhibition as well and leave their own, um, you know, thoughts and what they've been told. And I think, you know, that kind of build up this bigger picture overall. And, you know, it kind of continues that intergenerational thing between families and the war. And so the Blitz spirit that we hear all about... Yeah. Does it come across that that was real or is that just myth that uh, has been passed on? 
No, I, I think I think it is. You know, from the people I've spoke to, you know, they they've really kind of at times gone into details how you know people would just help them on the street. You know, they wouldn't know them, but there was one story. Um, there was a couple of girls. They were they were sisters. They were out in a field, and you know, the plane was coming over, and you know, they said someone just jumped off their bike and you know just sheltered them they didn't know them but you know they were in a ditch they got very dirty and apparently their mother wasn't very happy that they were dirty but you know they were they <laughs> were alive the but, that comes across yeah. yeah but you know no different to children going out playing now but um no absolutely i think that you know there was this big sort of community spirit and everyone helped each other and that is really coming across so that's nice to know. And I think actually, you know, we've had the same kind of thing the past couple of years with COVID. Everyone started helping each other out. And so I guess that's kind of that blitz spirit is actually really a British spirit in a kind of way, you know. And, and it's, it's good to connect those things at the moment, isn't it? Because presumably that the school children visiting the museum now will have been through that experience that no one else had done before. Yeah, well, exactly. And I think, yeah, that's going to make it even more... Uh, I guess you know come to life for them and you know they can connect to it in a much better way because we can relate these modern day events to the past and yeah okay there's technology and stuff now so it's slightly different but you know even I suppose thinking of the evacuees there was children going away from their family and in okay they would have been with their primary family but you know they wouldn't have been able to see grandparents they wouldn't be so you know it's kind of it's a knock-on effect and I think yeah it's it what's happened recently will really help um, illustrate in a modern day what happened in the past. So with all these stories how are you planning to interpret them? How are we going to be able to view and listen to these stories? Yeah so um, all the interviews I've got so far you know over the next couple of months I need to start going through them and really sort of like pick out key stories, key moments and also you know those that kind of reflect the same stories so we can start putting together a narrative and uh, you know one, one of the actual other interesting things that I've got while talking to everyone you know they've all kind of got an object that relates to them and I, I think that's going to be a nice way of us uh, displaying these stories as having objects that relate to it so as a visitor you know you can come in you can interact with these objects look at them but as you're listening to the stories you kind of realize that actually then you're touching or playing with this object that this person's talking about and I think again you know that kind of brings out that childhood childish kind of nature to it so that's the plan for now it might change so um yeah that's kind of a bit of a preview of what i'm thinking in advance there but um yeah no i think that's kind of the direction it's going to take and, and when is this likely to happen uh so yeah it's going to be launching march 2022 not sure the exact date yet but um i'd say mid-march and then it'll run over you know the easter holidays and hopefully we can do a lot of stuff for children over that period as well and workshops and you know we'll have the usual friday talks and whatever else we can find and uh, yeah I, I want to make it you know a big thing because I think it's so important to display this and you know teach younger generations what their ancestors went through basically mm. so and so if I have a relative or I myself have stories about the Blitz uh, what's the best way of getting in touch to uh, share them I have got a website, but, you know, hopefully that can be put in a link. That's uh, relaxcan.com. That's my brand name, if you like. Um, but slash Memoirs of the Blitz. But we also have an Instagram page, uh, Memoirs of the Blitz. 
hopefully be creating a Facebook one as well coming up. But also, obviously, you can contact Bentley Prior Museum for any of their social media and they will pass it on to me as well. Or, you know, hopefully now the Wings Museum are coming on board and, you know, you're welcome to contact them and they will reach out to me as well. And finally then, just to really put you on the spot, do you have any favourite stories that have come out in this last week that uh, might be a good example of the kind of things that uh, you've been told? Okay, um, maybe I can tell you one that's a little bit uh, gory as, you know, we're in October, we're coming up to Halloween. There was this one boy, he was uh, seven at the time, he was out with his friends, there had been quite a heavy night of uh, fighting, lots of planes come down. And they were going through the wreckage and the shrapnel and they found a boot. And um, in that boot, there was uh, still a foot. So as you can imagine, I I mean, I can't even imagine as a seven-year-old finding something like that and what effects that must have on you. And I guess, you know, that's kind of the gory and sort of dark side of the Blitz. But then... You know, there, there are light-hearted ones as well, such as uh, sweet shops blowing up and, you know, the streets being covered in sweets and uh, they want to take it, but if they took it, it would be looting. So, you know, there's, there's both sides of the stories. <laughs> Hi, my name's Adrian Harrison and I'm a member of the 253 Squadron Living History Group. And you're here at the Merlin Engine Run, just to hear the engine, just to see the engine? Well, to see, to hear it, also to chat to chat to people as an enthusiast of the aircraft from World War II period. It's, it's nice chatting to everyone who's also into <laughs> the, same, the same period, but obviously yeah, when you hear it running, that's what it's all about. It certainly is, and you're dressed today in the uniform of? Yeah, I'm uh, here portraying a, a Battle of Britain pilot um, from... So, of 253 Squadron, which was a, a squadron that took part in the battle. They uh, had been based at RAF Kenley in Surrey. And this is something that you do regularly? We have a four or five outings a year at different museums, supporting events. We're, a, we're still a very new group, so we're still building momentum and getting known. But we're trying to support museums more than necessarily go to some of the big get-together events. We'd rather be out and about, like I said, chatting to the people, fellow enthusiasts, and also supporting museums. So we're doing it slightly differently. Yes. I mean, museums have been struggling a little bit in the last couple of years, haven't they? But presumably this is not something that you come into cold. What, what is your enthusiasm about uh, the war and the RAF? Well, for me, it's actually come from the model building side. Uh, as a kid, the first uh, sort of airfix kit I ever built with my dad was, was of a Hurricane in 172 scale. And ever since then, I've been a model-mad enthusiast. <laughs> and then, yeah, when lockdown came about, a friend had mentioned that he wanted to set up a living history group, and I was, well, why not? I, I, I know the aircraft, I like the aircraft, so obviously it gives me a chance to different, see them in a different perspective, and now I'm even thinking maybe of learning to fly. <laughs> wow. So, so you tried to set this up during lockdown. How, how did that go? Yeah, actually it went quite well, because obviously we were able to all chat together and do video calls uh, and things, and when the rules allowed, we were able, a few of us, to get together at RAF Kenley. And then we started making friends with the Kenny Revival group. And yeah, so we did a few social distance kind of (laughs) get-togethers to get things underway. And then since the rules have then allowed, we've been able to come out to different museums with our dispersal display, a few of us in uniform, some of the uh, equipment and and gear from the the time, whether some of it's original, but a lot of it's obviously reproduction stuff. So you're a pilot? Yeah, a few of us are pilots, and then we do have some who are the ground crew, and we have one guy who comes along as one of the big wig officers. So uh, yeah, Sir Keith Park. All right. (laughs) So, and, and do you all know your parts? I mean, this, this is the problem with any reenactment, isn't it? And particularly if you are talking to people, people will ask questions and people will expect you to have the backstory and everything else. Have you got all that worked out? 
in the process, we're taking on our, our own personas. So yes, we've all been learning about our different roles, but some of them are actually quite difficult to learn about, especially more on the ground crew. The air crew's not too, too mm. difficult. It's easy to find out what aircraft they flew in training and, and, and sort of their daily routines. But for the ground crew, it is where we're finding it a little harder. So that's, again, another reason why coming out to museums, we can chat to people and we can, you know, we're learning as we go. And we've had some people come forward who, whose family members were ground crew of 253 Squadron during the Battle of Britain. And so they're giving us access to uh, their paperwork and diaries and things. So we're, we're learning as we go. I guess in, in popular culture... The pilot is always the one that's you know front and centre on the, the war films. It's not generally the ground crew that get covered, is it? No, it's not really, and that's why I think it's the ground crew that is starting to interest us more because they're the more unsung heroes, and obviously they were stuck there on the ground when all the bombs were falling and the enemy fighters were coming through. So yeah, we really want to start learning more about them and probably incorporate them more into the living history group and get some of the ground vehicles that were around the airfield and yeah. stuff to to be with our dispersal display. So yeah, we're. We're into the aircraft, but we're into history as a whole. So we're hoping to bring together the whole picture. And it, and it brings it all to life, doesn't it? And you're making an announcement here today, according to your Instagram. What are your big plans for the future? Yes, yes. So uh, here today we are launching properly our cockpit fund. We are looking to build, and in the, already started to build, full-size hurricane cockpit for general public to sit in. It's like photo opportunity and then we're also going to build a Spitfire cockpit that hopefully will work with a computer flight sim so you could actually get in and, for all intents and purposes, be flying a Spitfire. And that's not something that most of us get to do every day, is it? <laughs> no, no it's it certainly got a lot of interest, especially because it also encounter for different ages that wouldn't be able to go on any of the experiences, but also the cost of the experiences. This is a good taster of what it's like, but it'll, I say, all the controls will be working, so if you do something on that, it'll do it on the computer program and you say that you're considering learning to fly now was this something that you never had before or is it uh, something that's always been there do you think that is a very good question <laughs> it's obviously really now quite strongly with me i think it's been one of those little things that have been quietly in the back of my mind but because obviously i've always since a little kid loved the aircraft but never really realized for flying them was an opportunity so it's definitely something that's come along more recently, especially with the Living History Group. I've moved, obviously, from different scales models to the real thing. So I've always been involved with different history projects. So I've worked on steam locomotives at the Bluebird Railway. I've worked digging up dinosaurs with Fossils Galore Museum in Cambridgeshire. So now that I'm obviously also adding this more interest <laughs> step <era>. up, <laughs> it makes sense to go to another one-to-one scale thing and do it. And like I said, if we don't know what to talk about, the best thing to do is to actually do it. Yes, certainly is. And uh, I would imagine that if you spoke to the right people here, you could get a few tips on flying as well. Uh, how do we find out more about your group? <laughs> right, yes. So we share a website with the Wharton on Thames Transport and Model Enthusiast Society. So that's whatmyers.org. The website's in the process of a nice, good, big rebuild. So within a week or two, there should be lots of good info about 253 Squadron, the Living History Group, and how to get involved. Even if you've never thought about it before, you haven't got any equipment or anything to reenact someone, that doesn't matter. We'll cater for anyone at any any level. And presumably, if you've got a vehicle that might be appropriate, you'd like to hear from people with them? Definitely, yes. Because like I said, yeah, <laughs> we'd, we'd really off. like to yeah have... 
be more about the, the ground support that, that was around the aircraft as well as the, the aircraft themselves. So, yeah, if anyone has any vehicles or, or like I said, intrigued in coming and, and joining us, especially if you've got ground crew information, that, yeah, do reach out to us. And before the website gets done, if nothing else, you're on Instagram at? Yes, we're 253 Squadron Kenley. 253 Squadron Kenley on Instagram. And where are we likely to see you next? Oh, well, we pop up all kinds of places. Um, but I suppose the best thing to do is keep an eye on our Instagram and the Watmez websites to the 253 pages. But we're going to be at event days here at the Wings Museum. We do some events with the Bentley Priory Museum. We've been doing the Headcorn Battle of Britain air show at the aerodrome there. And we pop up every now and again for sort of photo opportunity days at uh, the actual RAF Kenley site with the Kenley Revival Group. So we've just had the second Merlin engine run and I've caught up with Aaron Simmons whose title this week is... Rolls-Royce Merlin Chief Engineer. Rolls-Royce Merlin Chief Engineer. <laughs> Sounds good if nothing else. <laughs> now, today has been a good day as far as I can tell. Uh, it worked twice. It started mm. reasonably well the first time, quicker the second time. Uh, prime, all all successful? Yeah, very successful. Uh, needed a bit more priming on the first run because the engine... We haven't run it for the last two months, so um, the fuel system just dry up a little bit. But all in all, she ran very well, really. Second run wasn't as good. Um, Who could tell? Yeah, I could personally, but <laughs> she's slowly getting less smoky. She's just running in, really. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, it, you say slowly running in, you see, presumably between runs, perhaps not during the day, but between days of this maintaining an old engine must be quite a challenge mm. oh yeah she can be a nightmare <laughs> absolute nightmare i noticed we're calling it a she suddenly <laughs> oh yeah yeah always um <laughs> she's 78 years old at the end of the day she's got the original piston rings in it was an engine from a crash so it's had a lot of repair work so she leaks a lot of oil so we just generally just try and keep on top of any oil leak she's going to leak a general amount the front case leaks a little bit more than it should so that's going to come off soon and be resealed and then it's just general maintenance items of spark plug maintenance making sure the the mags are timed the engine's timed and just generally looking after her really I mean, you say this as if it's all quite trivial, you know, looking after the spark plugs. But from what I remember, there are quite a few spark plugs and they're mm. a pain in the neck to get at. Oh, yeah, there's 24. <laughs> and uh, the ones on the mid-bank, which are powered by the right-hand magneto, um, they can be a nightmare, especially if you drop them, because uh, they go underneath the inlet tube. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare to get out after. So you can spend a couple of hours just trying to get one out. <laughs> and presumably, if nothing else, there's not many spares on the shelf of these things. No, not at all. Um, because obviously it hasn't had any modifications done to it to fit more modern Champion Spark plugs. It's still got the old style, larger bore. Yeah, you can't really get hold of many of them these days. Do, They're do, quite do a struggle. We, do we have many? No. We've got a few. Got, got a few. Well, we've I'll... actually got um, some of them we've got are from a Meteor engine which is the tank version of a merlin but they work 
Well, and that is presumably the important thing at this point is it's keeping it going and letting people see and hear and enjoy and smell, which is the, the, the other good thing. It smells great, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> the, the whole idea of the Merlin is a living memorial to the crew that perished the, the night that she last took off. And we are actually going to take her up to RAF Pocklington, where she last flew. Um, hopefully even next year or the year after for its 80th year. And uh, so hopefully be able to run that on the end of the runway and it'd be quite nice. Be It'd be a nice tribute. It, well, exactly. And it, it is the remembrance. I mean, before each running, we do remember the men, well, young men, very young yeah, men. Very. If the pilot was only 19, you know, these young men who died uh, trying to use it. And uh, yes, it, it's what keeps it going, isn't it? And presumably it's what justifies the care and the time and the money to keep it going. 100%. 100%. Um, it, it does cost a lot of money to keep the engine going. Um, fuel, especially at the moment. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a bit of a nightmare. So uh, we're lucky enough, um, Shoreham Airport um, gave us an approval to go and buy some Avgas from them. So the runs today were done on Avgas instead of just uh, general unleaded, which we normally use. Well, premium unleaded. So 98 octane, but today it was 100 octane. Um, so what difference does that make then? Because presumably it's an old mechanical engine. It shouldn't make a huge difference. There's no computers telling it something's different. But I mean, could you tell the difference? Not really. <laughs> Not really. It would just give it a little bit more power. Um, but to be fair, we don't run it long enough to, uh, to find out. Well, and, and yeah, you're not testing the power of it, no, are you? No, know. exactly. And you know, one question someone just in conversation asked earlier on was, you know, what kind of revs is it doing? I mean, it sounds, you know, like it's running and it's 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 all, but it's not terribly high revs, is it? No, no, we we run the engine at maximum of two thousand RPM, um, because it's had a lot of work done to it. Um, it's had some cast daily welding, and we don't want to overstress any any area of the engine, so um, it disintegrates. It wouldn't be good for us. It wouldn't be good for the engine. <laughs> but to be fair, if I'm correct, cruising's about 2,600 and takeoff is about 2,800. So it's not actually that much um, lower than what she would be running at. But it's, it sounds nice. It does sound nice. And it smooths out. Well, yeah, and it, it sounds right, doesn't it? I mean, it, yeah. it certainly doesn't sound like it's just ticking over. So, yes, it, it makes sense not to overstress it. And mm. presumably, starting from cold on each occasion puts more strain on it as well does it oh 100 percent. that's why um we run it at 1200 rpm for two minutes to begin with and that will just warm the engine up then we like to go up to about 1500 rpm for another minute and then we take her up to 2000 and then we slowly will bring her back down to cool back down and then um we bring the fuel mixture lever back um, once she's idling and just let her sit for 20 30 seconds and then we shut the mags off and a whole run, we normally do about six minutes because she will drink a lot of fuel. <laughs> well, that, and that is the big issue, isn't it, really? And uh, yes, the, the law of diminishing returns after six minutes, we have heard it, we have seen it, we have smelt it. We don't really need a seventh minute, no, for example. Exactly. But yes, it, it's, it's not overstraining it. I mean, looking at it now, I can see quite a lot of black specks on the frame there. Do I ask if that's oil or is that just a paintwork? That is oil. Um, the right-hand bank at the moment is throwing a little bit more oil out than the left. Um, it used to be the left bank, now it's the right bank. <laughs> so, so have you done something to one of them then or is it now just taking it in turns? Uh, to be fair, the left bank rocker cover was sealed very well last time I took it off. I haven't had the right 
bank cover off for a long time. So I suspect that the uh, the sealant is uh, well, the the gasket material is perished a little bit more. So that's one of the the next jobs to do over winter on the long list of jobs. <laughs> I was going to say, presumably, winter is a good time for doing these things, and 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 assuming that the next public run isn't going to be till next May or something. Mm. So don't put that in your diaries yet. Um, <laughs> what is needing doing because. It is one of those things that presumably you can't put it away and bring it back out and expect it to run seamlessly. Well, basically, over winter, we will take the oil strainers out and leave them out over winter. Because it's um, got a solid bank and head, It's uh, because it's obviously an earlier Merlin, you can't split the head from the bank. And these Merlin 20s are known for leaking coolant into the oil system. So by leaving the filters out, you can um, you can see if you've got any coolant leaks, and then what you'd do is after the maintenance run, you'll just take the filters back out, and just make sure they haven't sludged up, so they go like grease when you get oil and water mix. And the other thing over winter, we will uh, remove all the spark plugs, clean them all up, and leave them out. All twenty-four of them. All twenty-four of them. <laughs> I can remember. <laughs> and then we will just do the general maintenance on it of. Um, mag timing, cleaning the plugs up obviously. This winter we've got to take the front cover off so that requires us to take the prop off to be able to do that, to reseal it all. Um, it's it's going to be fun because uh, we haven't done that for a long time. Well, I have personally haven't done a prop since I was at college. That was <laughs> 2007, <Fair enough. laughs> quite a while. And it's um, £750 feet, the actual um, the prop retaining nut. So uh, luckily we've got a torque multiplier to do that. That'll make our life a little bit easier. A long pole. A long pole. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, it's, it's, it is just general cleaning her up, try and fix any oil leaks that she's got going on, any coolant leaks, and just preserve her, really. And then we will do a couple of maintenance runs on it before the next public run, which will be next year, just to make sure she's running okay. So that long list there, how would that differ to the ground crew sorting these things out when planes came back after raids during the war. It's presumably it's the same kind of job list, isn't it? Very similar, yes, very similar. Um, Because the engine doesn't actually, this engine doesn't do many hours, it doesn't really require the same amount of maintenance that an uh, an engine in service would require so it'd have like a 50 hour inspection 100 hour inspection 150 hour inspection it'd take us a long time to get to 50 hours (laughs) certainly in six seven minutes chunks yeah definitely (laughs) so what we actually do is once a season we would do items on the 50 hour list and you you have those lists yes yeah we have all those lists Uh, we have a maintenance manual for the engine and we have parts manual as well so we will we will do on i know on the 50 hour list there's um rechecking the torque for the um, the cylinder banks so we would do things like that and um, just going around the engine and generally if anything's loose start tightening it up because it does shake it's, it shakes a lot and things come loose it's an old engine but no it's not too bad to be honest it's, it's not too bad it, it's a love hate relationship or just love relationship love hate <laughs> definitely plus with all the other stuff that we have to do at the museum it does take time it really does take time but worth every second oh 100 yeah just to see it run <laughs> as always you can find out more about the wings museum from our own website facebook twitter instagram and now also youtube 
Find them all at www.wingsmuseum.co.uk.